Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are top stories. A combative testimony extracted from Trump prosecutor Fonnie Willis. The Fulton County DA is back on the stand today over a motion to disqualify her and her team from the case. What do you need to know about yesterday's hearing? Former President Trump makes his last pitch in the Supreme Court in his bid to pause his January 6 case and a New York judge expected to rule on the amount owed today in the civil fraud lawsuit seeking $370 million and a state business ban. And a new development in the investigation into President Biden and his son Hunter Biden, a former FBI informant, has been charged with lying about the Bidens accepting bribes from a Ukrainian firm. Is Russia targeting U.S. satellites in outer space? The White House now confirming the nature of the national security threat flagged by the House Intel Committee chair. What we know about the potential disruptions here on Earth. The Israel, Israeli military said they believed hostages were being held at a certain hospital in the Gaza Strip. A major concern is that thousands of displaced people have reportedly been residing there. Abandoned dogs beaten and tortured, others roaming in dangerous packs. A combat veteran tells a tale of another crisis at the southern border. A new sports streaming venture between Fox, Disney and Warner under scrutiny over potential harm to consumers. We have the updates from the host of Entity Business. According to the CDC, the number of autism cases has dramatically risen in the last 30 years. NTD speaks with a mom and author about how she battled her son's condition using alternative treatments. This is NTD Good Morning, live from our global headquarters. Here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome to, uh, to NTD, everyone. Today is finally Friday. We have made it through the week, and it's February 16th. Yeah, and some drama going on in Georgia. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the judge certainly has a lot to consider right there. You got that right. Yeah, but uh, that's what's in today's top news. Fonnie Willis, the district attorney leading Georgia's election case against former President Trump, is set to testify again today over a motion to disqualify her and her team. The Fulton County DA and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade are facing allegations of financially benefiting from the case and taking lavish trips together at taxpayers' expense. Both say their romantic relationship started in 2022 and that expenses were split evenly and settled in cash. Trump and his co-defendants want the whole case thrown out. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on yesterday's hearing. It is a lot. It is gonna, a lot. Right, Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis testified Thursday she doesn't need anyone to foot her bills and paid Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade back in cash for any trip expenses. I don't need anything from a man. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion. Willis says she keeps up to $15,000 in cash at home, depending on her financial situation. The Trump prosecutor shrugged off defense lawyers' request for flight records, calling it intrusion into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. Defense attorney Ashley Merchant called Willis's longtime friend and former employee Robin Yurdy remotely to the stand after objections from the state. Yurdy stated she has no doubt a romantic relationship started in 2019. Hugging, kissing, 
disaffection. That's three years earlier than Wade swore in an affidavit. The judge denied a renewed motion to quash Wade's subpoena, calling him to the witness stand. Wade testified his relationship with Willis started in early 2022 and that they had first met at a conference in 2019. He says the relationship ended in the summer last year. Credit card statements in Wade's divorce case show he paid for two flights in recent years to San Francisco and Miami. The pair also took Caribbean cruises and trips to the Bahamas and Belize. Wade says travel was split evenly and Willis paid him back in cash, but he never deposited into his account. You don't have a single solitary deposit slip to corroborate or support any of your allegations that you were paid by Mrs. Willis in cash, do you? No, sir. State attorneys argued key witness Terrence Bradley is covered by attorney-client privilege with anything relevant he has to say private between him and Wade. Wade's former law partner and colleague said he had knowledge of Wade's relationship, but was advised by the bar to adhere to confidentiality. I am here because I also have a law license, and I'm not trying to lose that. Attorneys for Willis said they will call witnesses to impeach Yurdy. The judge says he does not plan to issue a ruling by Friday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The judge earlier this week said Willis could be disqualified if evidence proves an actual conflict or the appearance of one. He said the hearing is to focus on whether a relationship existed, if it was romantic, when it formed, and whether it continues. The DA's office has called the disqualification effort a publicity stunt designed to generate headlines. Willis's office insists there's no financial or personal conflict of interest. That said, we're bringing in Paul Kaminar, the lead counsel at the National Legal and Policy Center, for some legal analysis on the hearing. Paul, thanks for being here to sort all this out. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Did Trump's attorneys make a strong case for the disqualification of D.A. Fonnie Willis? Well, it's not only Trump's attorneys, but of course, uh, uh, Ashley Merchant, uh, the attorney for one of the other defendants. And I think they made a very good case. I, first of all, I thought I was watching the Jerry Springer show because of the way uh, they were bringing out all this uh, evidence of a uh, romantic relationship between uh, Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade. And I think they made a pretty good uh, case to show that uh, they had this romantic relationship. And, and it started uh, way before uh, he was appointed in November 1, 2021, as a special prosecutor by uh, Fannie Willis. So uh, they continue today. There'll be some more testimony by Fannie Willis, and we'll see uh, how that goes. But I think they made a very good case for at least appearance of impropriety, and that's the only standard uh, that you have to meet. Yeah, in her defense, Willis says that she has no not done any wrongdoing in her affair with Wade. How will the judge likely interpret the testimony of Willis's former coworker and friend who said the DA's relationship with Wade started before he was hired in Trump's prosecution? Yeah, she testified uh, that it was in 2019, a couple years ahead of time. And uh, so one of them is lying on the stand. Uh, so uh, I'm sure there's going to be some more evidence and testimony about that. But I think uh, she was credible. She was a friend of uh, Fannie Willis. Uh, so I don't think she has anything uh, to why she had to lie about it. But uh, there's this whole thing about all the cash that was going back and forth, too, that uh, shows there's a problem here. And, and we don't know where uh, Fannie Willis got all this cash. He doesn't have any receipts for it. And he doesn't have any receipts for receiving any of this cash. Yeah, and those payments were for caviar, wine, trips to Napa Valley, and things like that. So, but how much legal weight is carried by the fact that Prosecutor Nathan Wade does not have a single deposit slip to corroborate the claim that Willis reimbursed him in cash for the expenses that Wade put on his credit card during the romantic trips they took? 
Right. Well, he, he said he always dealt with a lot of cash. Uh, clients would come to his office and give him cash to retain him as a lawyer, and he said he never asked uh, them where they got the cash. So, you know, he may have a safe where he keeps all this cash, uh, so I'm not too concerned about he doesn't have a deposit slip of where he put the cash. I'm more concerned of where did Fannie Willis get the cash. Uh, she she was very vague about that. She keeps saying, oh, I have, you know, anywhere from up to uh, nine, $15,000 in cash. But you have to, she gets direct deposits of her check. So she has to withdraw from her account in cash. And there's supposed to be a paper trail there. So she was very vague about where she's getting all this cash. And it's very convenient that she's paying him back in cash because then there's no uh, a paper trail to follow that. Yeah, and Paul, just briefly here, the judge said he's going to need advisory on all parts of this here. So what goes into that process of that decision? Well, I mean, uh, he, he will take this under advisement, the, the, the whole uh, hearing here. He won't rule today. There's going to be some more testimony going on. And then uh, he will come out uh, with his decision sometime next week. Uh, but uh, like I said, the uh, they don't have to show an actual conflict of interest, meaning that she was getting uh, uh, benefits from this relationship by paying him uh, to be the prosecutor, as long as there is an appearance of impropriety. And I think it's clear that standards met. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing that he will rule that, uh, at a minimum, Nathan White has to get bounced from the case and possibly also uh, Fannie Willis. And well, then that's going to be, you know, who's going to prosecute it after that. Yes, we're going to be covering the this all the time. The whole case may go away, too, by the way. That is possible. Paul Kaminar, lead counsel at the National Legal and Policy Center, thank you for your analysis. Thank you. And starting at 9 a.m. Eastern, NTD's Stephanie Cox and Chris Beers will bring you our special live coverage as the Georgia misconduct hearing enters day two. District Attorney Fonnie Willis will continue her testimony. Will she be disqualified from the case? We'll have an in-house analysis from NTD's own legal correspondent Arlene Richards and top legal minds breaking down what it all means. Tune in and stay informed on NTD News. Trump made his last pitch to the Supreme Court yesterday in his bid to pause the federal January 6th trial. Trump is asking the full bench of the D.C. District Court of Appeals to review the three-judge panel ruling denying him presidential immunity. Trump in his filing said the reason are, reasons are overwhelming why the case should not go to trial in three months or less. He wrote it could be virtually unthinkable and unfair with any other defendant. Special counsel Jack Smith argued in his own brief the standard to pause proceedings had not been met. It generally takes support from five justices to issue a pause. Smith wrote in his filing, the charged crimes strike at the heart of our democracy and stated public interest in a prompt trial is at its peak. Justices are expected to decide Trump's request in a few days. And Trump's New York criminal trial is set to begin March 25th. The former president is accused of falsifying business records related to funds that were previously sent to two women who claimed they had affairs with Trump. Entities David Lem has the details. Here in New York City, the judge has denied the motion to dismiss Trump's case in the alleged hush money issue. Now, let's take a look at what happened. New York Supreme Court Justice Juan Merchan said on Thursday that the alleged hush money trial would proceed next month with jury selection. Former President Trump's attorneys blasted the decision, saying that Trump will have to stand trial while he's attempting to wrap up his Republican presidential nomination.
This is all from the DOJ. This all comes out of Washington. It says, you take a look at the legal documents and the legal scholars writing about this. They say there's no crime. This is no crime. But outside, right outside that courthouse, this courthouse, people are being murdered. So it's a very unfair situation. They want to keep me nice and busy so I can't campaign so hard. But maybe we won't have to campaign so hard because the other side is incompetent. The other side's done a horrible job running this country. The expected six-week trial comes after Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg brought his 34-count indictment accusing the former president of falsifying business records. But as far as this is concerned, it's election interference by Biden because it's the only way he can think to get elected because he's accomplished nothing. Trump's former attorney admitted to arranging payments to adult actress Stormy Daniels and former model Karen McDougal, both of whom alleged they had affairs with Trump. But Trump has denied the affairs and any wrongdoing. The indictment, he said, was political persecution, while the repayments to his attorney were legitimate legal expenses. Amid the allegations that Trump is facing, he showed optimism, saying that he won't let it get to him and that he will campaign during the nighttime and go to court during the day. Reporting in New York City, David Lamb, NTD News. We had just in this morning that jailed Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died, according to the Russian prison service. He was 47 years old. The Federal Penitentiary Service said in a statement that Navalny felt unwell after going on a walk and almost immediately lost consciousness. An ambulance arrived to try to resuscitate him, but he died. The cause of death is still being established. Navalny was a longtime vocal critic of Russian President Vladimir Putin. A Kremlin spokesman says Putin was informed of Navalny's death and that the prison service is investigating it. A former FBI agent was charged with lying about President Biden and his son Hunter Biden's alleged involvement with a Ukrainian energy company. That's according to the U.S. Special Counsel investigating the president's son. In a statement on Thursday, Special Counsel David Weiss said former federal agent Alexander Smirnov had been indicted by a federal grand jury. Prosecutors said that Smirnov falsely reported to the FBI in 2020 that Hunter and Joe Biden were paid $5 million each in bribes some years earlier. The money, he said, came from Ukrainian energy company Burisma. The grand jury found that Smirnov's story was a fabrication. The indictment alleges that what Smirnov reported was an amalgam of otherwise unremarkable business meetings. Investigators also claim that Smirnov had his dates wrong about when the meetings occurred. An attorney for Hunter Biden said the charges show the probe against the president's son is based on dishonest allegations. Abbe Lowell said in a statement, For months we have warned that Republicans have built their conspiracies about Hunter and his family on lies told by people with political agendas, not facts. We were right, and the air is out of their balloon. Hunter Biden sat on the board of Burisma from 2014 to 2019. For part of that time, his father was the U.S. vice president under former President Barack Obama. In December, the House of Representatives voted to formally authorize an ongoing impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Some Republicans made the Biden's connection with Burisma a centerpiece of their push to impeach the president. When former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced the inquiry in September last year, he said that a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family. Smirnoff was arrested on Wednesday, Weiss said, and faces up to 25 years in prison. 
The White House confirming that the national security threat officials are warning about is related to an anti-satellite weapon that Russia is pursuing. But the administration would not disclose what exactly the weapon could do or how the U.S. plans to respond. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more. So amid a new wave of speculation after Republican House Intelligence Committee Chair Mike Turner warned about what he called a national security threat, the White House has now finally confirmed that it's been monitoring what it called an anti-satellite capability being developed by Russia. The White House says it's not going to pose any immediate threat to people here on Earth, but it does call that weapon troubling. Watch. We are not talking about a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. It could affect services here on Earth. There's no question about that. That's why we are taking this so seriously. Satellites, the White House points out, that contribute to not just communications, but also command and control, as well as transportation and finance here on Earth. And while the White House would not confirm or deny reports that this weapon is nuclear capable, it does say that it's space-based and that it violates an international treaty that bans in space the use of nuclear weapons or other weapons of mass destruction. Meanwhile, the White House also would not disclose how exactly the U.S. might respond. Watch. And we are examining what the, the, the best next steps are and what our options might be. I want to re reiterate, it is not an active capability and it has not yet been deployed. And the White House says it's been aware of Russia's pursuit of such capabilities for many, many months, if not a few years. But it says it's not until just the recent weeks that it became more clear about how exactly that Russia is pursuing them. Meanwhile, the Kremlin on Thursday dismissed a warning by the U.S. saying it's malicious fabrication, adding that it's a trick by the White House to try to convince more lawmakers to approve more Ukraine funding to counter Russia. The White House says that's nonsense, adding that that is in the process of reaching out to Russia to talk more about its anti-satellite capabilities. Back to you. Several top House lawmakers expressed confidence that the Biden administration has a plan to deal with the Russian anti-satellite weapon. Members of the House Intelligence Committee and Speaker Mike Johnson addressed the press after the meeting. It's not a matter that can involve delay. It's something we have to address seriously and on an immediate basis. And we are. I think the bottom line is, is that we all came away with a very strong impression that the administration is taking this very seriously and that the administration has a plan in place. Uh, we look forward to supporting them uh, as they go to implement it. We all walked out of there very satisfied uh, that the administration uh, is and has been doing a good job uh, tracking this particular threat. I want you to know that um, the White House gave us information today. They were going to uh, remain in close contact with leaders of Congress uh, on the issue and it will be dealt with. The White House confirmed that it's now monitoring Russia's new military capability. Meanwhile, Moscow has described these claims as a ruse. They say it's to pressure Congress into approving support for Ukraine. A group of bipartisan lawmakers are set to unveil an alternate bill today that would send aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan and tackle border security. The House lawmakers are hoping it'll serve as a compromise that can garner support across party lines. Their efforts come after House Speaker Mike Johnson rejected a $95 billion security package from the Senate. Congressman Don Bacon of Nebraska, who worked on the bill, said it would include only military, not humanitarian aid. It would also seek to address the immigration crisis by reinstituting the Remain in Mexico policy. 
This policy required that some asylum seekers wait in Mexico while their claims were being heard. President Biden ended the policy in 2022. Police are releasing more information about the shooting at the Super Bowl parade in Kansas City, Missouri on Wednesday. Preliminary investigative findings have shown there was no nexus to terrorism or homegrown violent extremism. This appeared to be a dispute between several people that ended in gunfire. Shooting erupted by the end of the Kansas City Chiefs parade near Union Station yesterday afternoon. A 43-year-old mother of two was killed and 22 others were injured. The injured range in age from 8 to 47. Half are under the age of 16 and at least eight are children. Authorities detained three suspects, including two juveniles. The shooting is still under investigation and police haven't pressed any charges. The police chief said one million people likely attended the parade. The Kansas City Police Department had roughly 800 officers around the area when the shooting broke out. And that was two days ago, not yesterday. The Israeli military said they believed hostages were being held at a certain hospital in the Gaza Strip. A major concern is that thousands of displaced people have reportedly been residing there. Jason Perry reports. Good to have you back, everyone. Israel's defense forces said they had intelligence that hostages were being held at the hospital in the Gaza Strip. This comes as the Israeli military also reports having planes flying over Lebanon and ready to strike. And today's Jason Perry has the latest on the war. A chaotic scene as smoke filled the hallways of Al Nasser Hospital in the southern Gaza Strip. On Thursday, Israel Defense Forces raided Gaza's largest functioning hospital. The IDF spokesperson explained. We have credible intelligence from a number of sources, including from released hostages, indicating that Hamas held hostages at the Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunus and that there may be bodies of our hostages in the Nasser Hospital facility. He also said that they believed Hamas terrorists were operating there. And the day before, on Wednesday, Israel Defense Forces ordered thousands of displaced people to evacuate the hospital, but some were allowed to stay. The IDF said that a key objective in the operation was to ensure that the hospital continues to treat patients. A key objective, as defined by our military mission, is to ensure that the NASA hospital continues its important functions of treating Gazan patients. We coordinated the transfer of medical supplies and equipment to the NASA hospital. We sent oxygen tanks and fuel for electricity at the request of the hospital to ensure its essential functions continue uninterrupted. The Israeli military interrogated a Hamas terrorist who was one of the several suspects detained during the operation. The detainee said there were about 50 Hamas terrorists who operated at the hospital. And he also thought around 10 hostages were being held captive at the hospital, though the IDF did not immediately report rescuing any hostages during the raid. Also on Thursday, Israel Defense Forces reported striking several Hezbollah targets in Lebanon. 
And this building here in southern Lebanon was reportedly hit by an Israeli airstrike. Residents surveyed the damage. Israel's defense minister said they have no interest in war, but they must prepare. The planes that are flying in Lebanon's sky as we speak have targets, and they know how to attack them, and they know how to change their attack from one place to the other. We can do copy-paste from Gaza to Beirut. He also said that Israel wants to make an agreement that will allow the displaced Israelis to return to their homes in the north with appropriate security. On the other hand, the leader of Hezbollah in Lebanon said they will only stop firing rockets into Israel when Israel stops its war in the Gaza Strip. Jason Perry, NTD News. A United Nations official said Wednesday that he does not consider Hamas to be a terrorist group. UN Relief Chief Martin Griffiths was speaking on Sky News. Griffiths was asked about the viability of Israel's military aim to eradicate Hamas and prevent the terrorist organization from exerting any influence on governance in Gaza. I think it's very difficult. And as you say, I've worked with many, many, many different terrorist and, and, and insurgent groups. Uh, Hamas is not a terrorist group for, for us, of course, as you know, it's a political movement. On the topic of Hamas's October 7th terror attack, Griffith said he completely understands the trauma Israel experienced, but the UNAID chief says Israel still needs to build a relationship with its neighbors. Israeli government spokesman Elon Levy denounced the comments. He wrote on X, Martin Griffiths denies Hamas as a terrorist organization. No wonder he is abusing his power to save Hamas's skin after the deadliest terror attack since 9-11 instead of demanding its surrender. How does the Hamas terrorist attack on Israel affect Americans? I asked this to Benjamin Baird, the director of MEF Action at the Middle East Forum. This is what he told me. Sure, I, uh, I think there's no question that since October 7th here in the United States, we're at an increased uh, threat level. The FBI and the National Counterterrorism Center have said so. They said that the threat level will, will exist at least through the, the winter. Uh, this could include a lone actor attack or a sophisticated group attack. Um, I think that October 7th has the chance to be the uh, most single greatest radicalizing event of our time. Um, it's going to radicalize homegrown actors. Um, it has mobilized uh, Islamist groups throughout the Middle East. Uh, you have to remember that after 9-11, Osama bin Laden directly attributed his attack on the United States to America's support for Israel. So these threats certainly exist and we should be on the lookout for them. So what should Americans know in light of the October 7th attack in, on Israel? Sure, um, I think that the, the threat here in the United States is domestic. We have US charity networks here in the United States that are actually funding Hamas. Uh, these are working through the American 501c3 system. These are tax-exempt donations that they're receiving, as much as $260 million that we've tracked at the Middle East Forum. Uh, and that money is going to Hamas fronts in Gaza uh, that the Hamas terrorist regime is taking. We know that uh, Hamas has taken as much as 70% of humanitarian aid meant for Palestinians. But a lot of this money is coming from United States charities. Uh, an Israeli report found that half a billion dollars of Hamas money came from international charity networks. And we have some of those networks right here in the United States. 
So on U.S. highways, we've seen these billboards that say, let's be clear, Hamas is your problem too. Do you agree with this? And if so, why? Uh, yes, absolutely. Hamas is our problem, not just here in the United States from groups that support Hamas, but internationally, uh, U.S. Uh, assets and forces are being targeted by Hamas's allies. Um, Iranian-backed proxies throughout the Middle East have attacked U.S. soldiers. There was recently three deaths in Jordan. Um, so, you know, there's no question that Hamas affects all of us here in the United States, uh, being at risk of a domestic terrorist attack and United States assets abroad. Yeah, and Benjamin, there's something important to highlight. The congressional budget requested $41 billion in fiscal year 2021 for the State Department and the U.S. Agency for International Development, through which it gives support to combat things like terrorism to other countries here. So following October 7th, how important is it for the U.S. to keep up its multilateral efforts so that the U.S. and allies can combat terrorism? Right. We need to have a multilateral effort. Um, the, the problem is that there are groups that are supposed to be charities, NGOs that are supposed to be helping out. But for instance, uh, there were weapon supplies found in USAID humanitarian aid packages in, uh, in Gaza. So, you know, we need to do a better job of uh, vetting these organizations um, and, and determining who to help and how to do it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Benjamin Baird, Director of MEF Action at the Middle East Forum. Thank you so much. Coming up next, thousands of cats and dogs allegedly abandoned by illegal migrants at the southern border. A combat veteran wants the Texas governor to call in the National Guard to handle the crisis. Good to have you back. Republicans accusing the Biden administration of not doing enough to stop illegal immigration. A House committee probing what critics call the government's catch and release border policy. A witness from the Center for Immigration Studies told lawmakers Thursday what they should do to put more pressure on the federal government. First, the House must work to deny funding to the Biden catch and release machine. Instead of $7 billion to FEMA, HHS, and ICE for hotels, meals, work permits, counselors, ankle bracelets, and asylum officers for released illegal migrants, Congress should direct more money to removing not only criminal aliens as a priority, but also prioritize removing those aliens who have failed in their immigration proceedings or failed to even show up for them. Jessica Vaughn is the Director of Policy Studies for the Center for Immigration Studies. She commented on the recent border funding bill, which failed to pass the Senate. Vaughn said that bill would have only made matters worse by codifying and expanding catch-and-release policies. Democrats at the hearing disagreed, saying the bill would have finally brought much-needed relief to the border. They blamed former President Trump's alleged influence over congressional Republicans, saying he's the reason the bill failed. If you'd like to hear more from Juan and her take on the ongoing immigration crisis, make sure to tune in to NTD's Capitol Report tonight at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll sit down for an interview to get her insights into the situation at our southern border. 
The crisis at the southern border is a topic often talked about these days, especially as its effects have spilled over into cities around the country. But a less discussed aspect of millions of people entering the country illegally is the animals they leave behind. Entities Daniel Monahan spoke with retired Army Staff Sergeant John Rourke, who's sounding the alarm on the abandoned dogs and cats. I've never seen this before. Combat veteran John Rourke says what he's witnessed at the southern border is reminiscent of the most horrific sights he saw during his deployment in Iraq. Thousands of dogs and cats left by illegal immigrants at the Texas border, suffering and dying from extreme exposure or starvation after being tortured or run over and left to die on roadways. Yeah, you find dogs with their mouths taped shut find several dogs in garbage bags, you know, look like they were thrown out the window of a car on the side of the road, you know, in, in a garbage bag and the dog's alive. Um, you know, found, like I said, the dog with the oil on it, you know, numerous dogs with machete wounds, numerous dogs with buckshot wounds on their body. Um, you know, I, I didn't run into a dog out there that wasn't in just horrific conditions. Rourke says as people leave their lives behind in their home country, they bring their pets with them to the U.S. Some bring dogs as protection on the dangerous migration routes. Problem is, is when they run into a Border Patrol agent, the agent lets them know that they're not allowed to bring their animal into the facility. So they have to make a choice at that moment. And, and the choice is usually to, to dump the dog or the cat right there. The retired Army Staff Sergeant says not only is it dangerous that abandoned dogs roam the streets, there are also dead animals rotting on the sides of roads. Nowhere in the United States of America should there be cities and towns where there are dead animals littered all over the sides of roads. So if, I don't, if that's not a public health crisis, I don't know what is. How is it okay and acceptable in many neighborhoods throughout the United States, usually the poorer neighborhoods, where you have people that don't even want to go outside to walk their own dogs because they'll get attacked or to go on a jog because they'll get attacked by a starving dog. Rourke became aware of the animal crisis while doing an annual 9-11 border city cleanup. He began using his moving van from his company Blue Line Moving to transport some of the dogs to Big Dog Ranch Rescue, a no-kill rescue organization in his home state of Florida. Rourke says these dogs were people's pets and they're great animals. All they need, he says, is a little love, a little rehabilitation, and they could be adopted. Let's try to do that and help these dogs and they could activate the Veterinary Corps of the National Guard and set these soldiers throughout the, the hotspots in Texas to do a mass sterilization and a max vaccination of these animals, work with the private rescues, let the rescues bring the dogs to them, and they do the sterilizations, they do the vaccinations, turn the dogs back over to the rescues so they can get rehabbed and get adopted out. Uh, I don't understand why that, why that can't happen. I know there are veterinarians in the Army and vet techs in the Army, and lots of them. They handle the military working dog. Far Rourke has moved 150 of the dogs, which he calls hardly a dent. He estimates there are at least 10,000 dogs stranded along the border. His next rescue will be in Eagle Pass, Texas, on February 20th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Poor pup just looks so scared. Well, that's definitely another angle. Very sad. And I just cannot understand why people do that.
Yeah, the animal cruelty is definitely a serious part of the border crisis. And of course, as he mentioned, then the rotting away bodies at the side of the road with all the bacteria that's released, well... Good thing he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yes. All right. Stay with us. A new sports streaming venture between Fox, Disney, and Warner under scrutiny over potential harm to consumers. And the Japanese economy falling to a lower ranking on the world stage. Hundreds of prescription drugs are up in price, including some popular diabetes medications. We have the updates with the host of NTD Business. Good to have you back, everyone. And we have NTD Business host Don Ma with us now to give us the latest updates from the business world. Don, what do you have for us today? Okay, just a few things I wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, that's uh, including the U.S. possibly scrutinizing uh, the Disney Fox Warner uh, streaming deal, as well as drug prices uh, going up for some Americans. And uh, something significant just happened to Japan. So first of all, uh, remember when I recently talked to you guys about uh, th the three media companies saying that they'll launch a joint uh, sports streaming service? Well, now it seems like uh, the U.S. Department of Justice is planning to scrutinize the sports streaming platform planned by those three companies. And uh, according to a Bloomberg report, uh, the Justice Department is going to examine the terms of the deal. When it's finalized, some analysts are saying that uh, this venture could potentially raise serious competition issues um, and antitrust issues at the same time. Because, you know, if you think about it, um, you have the largest players in the online distribution of sports getting together and jointly launching a new service. Um, you know, the DOJ may look at the competitive implications and uh, whether other companies in this space will be potentially pushed out of the market even. Right, definitely some serious concentrated market power there could raise some eyebrows about maybe a possible monopoly. So what else besides this, what else do you have for us on drug prices? I know things are going on there. Yeah, also very important. So some Americans may have to shell out more for some very popular diabetes drugs. Um, so that's including Ozempic and Manjaro. But it's not just these two drugs. Uh, drug makers raised the list prices of around 900 other name brand drugs. Um, this is uh, in January of this year. And this is according to a nonprofit drug pricing analytic analytics firm, 46 Brooklyn. Uh, the median increase was around 44.7%, which actually is not too bad in comparison uh, because uh, this year's uh, in uh, inflation <laughs> Uh, metric was 3.1%, so it just a tiny bit outpaced um, that number for the 12 months ending in January. Though for most Americans, uh, the price they pay uh, for medications depends on their health, health insurance policies uh, and actually not drug makers list prices. So how uh, people may have to pay the list price if they are uninsured or have not yet hit their annual deductible. But uh, what I just mentioned is actually part of a larger problem uh, because uh, high cost of drugs in general has long been one of Americans' uh, biggest headaches uh, in the healthcare space. Uh, even those who have health insurance that covers the medications they need may struggle to afford the out-of-pocket cost. Yeah, and even some people who have multiple medications that they have to get, they have to make some really tough choices. But you have something for us about Japan? 
Yeah, uh, like I mentioned earlier, something significant is happening. Uh, Japan just lost its crown as the world's third largest economy. And Japan lost that position to Germany. So we learned yesterday that Japan is in a recession as of right now. Um, so this is, has caused it to lose that position as the third uh, largest economy. Japan uh, has contracted unexpectedly because of weak domestic consumption. The country had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And that's a basic sort of definition of what counts as a recession. Uh, so two back-to-back -back quarters of economic contraction. And the Japanese government reported that the economy shrank at an annual rate of 0.4% in October to December. Uh, in fact, the gap between developed countries and emerging nations is also shrinking, so it's possible that Japan may move down further on the list. And the next uh, candidate to overtake Japan is I India, possibly. And um, in terms of nominal, uh, nominal GDP in a few years, uh, but the United States still remains the world's largest economy by far, and with China being second still right now. I see. Well, it seems like a little bit of reshuffling. Also, we learned that recently UK hit um, the recession as well. So, but let's take it back to the US. So what about gas prices? Talk to us about that. Sure. Yeah, have a quick update on that as well. So if you filled up your gas tank this week, you probably noticed it cost you more. The price of a gallon of gas went up 12 cents over the past week. The national average is now $3.27. It may have come as a bit of a shock since prices haven't moved much over the past few months. And the good news is the reason for the increase should only be temporary. The shutdown of a massive BP refinery in Indiana is heavily influencing prices right now. It's been offline for more than two weeks due to a power outage, and that could be fixed soon. And hopefully afterwards, gas prices will back, uh, go back to moving at a more predictable pace. Yeah, and this is a challenge that has been impacting America for a while, and it could be a central campaign issue. Don Ma, host of NTD Business, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Stay with us. Autism is a diagnosis that can frighten any parent, but the author of a book, Warrior Mom, tells them not to give up and to get to work. Stay tuned. Thanks for staying with us. Autism, a disease that now affects one in 36 children, according to the CDC. That's up from one in 150 in 1994. And today's Daniel Monahan spoke with the author of Warrior Mom, who helped her son regain his health through alternative treatments. Tracy Slepsevic was the mom of a healthy baby son, enjoying motherhood, watching her young child grow. We met all his milestones. He crawled on time, he walked early, he had his little baby words, and he had a lot of um, strength and motor skills. But the mom says things took a turn for the worse after a one-year-old baby wellness check. All that started to diminish um, over time once he got his MMR and Versella vaccine at age one. He broke out in a full body rash, had a fever for about a week. Um, I as a new mom was super frantic, but all my pediatrician kept telling me is it's all normal. Everything's normal. You know, your kid regressing by the way is normal. Slepsevic says her son slowly lost all his speech, some motor skills and cognitive function over a three to six month period. It was just kind of like the lights went out. At three years old, Slepsevic's son was diagnosed with autism. 
The mom was devastated and felt lost and alone. Until I started reading books, like the first book I ever read was Jenny McCarthy's book, Louder Than Words, and I knew that I wasn't alone in the world. The inspired mom says she met a naturopathic doctor who told her there was hope. She started reading extensively, going to conferences, and submerged herself into the autism community. And from there, after we got all his test results back, we, the number one thing we really worked on was diet. And that was just eating clean food. You know, no packaged, no sugars, no gluten, dairy, soy, none of that. But within a couple months, he really started to thrive. Slepsevic says her son needed supplements. She believes the yeast from all the antibiotics he took as a young child started to coat his stomach and intestinal lining, impeding the absorption of proper nutrients. Slepsevic found whatever she could to help her son recover. Noah did do hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I do heed the warning on that because if a child cannot clear their ears, they, they should not go into a chamber. Um, my son had tubes, so it wasn't hard. He was able to go, go in with no problem at all. And from there, um, that helped with his behaviors. And I just kept throwing stuff at him. And at seven, we went to the Ukraine for stem cell therapy. That really helped with his motor skills and strength. All that cost a lot of money. So the mom says she bartered for treatments and sold everything she owned to pay for medical care. When you set a clear intention to heal your child or those underlying conditions, then you can accomplish anything. But it. it it starts up here. You have to believe it to be true. And I, I believed nothing but. I was like, my son is going to live a normal functioning life in spite of what neurologists and pediatricians said, that he was never going to be fully functioning. Slepsevic took everything she learned and put it into a book called Warrior Mom, which can be found on Amazon. The mom has some words of advice for parents who hear those frightening words, your child has autism. So I tell parents, you know, don't be the Eeyores, don't feel sorry for yourself, you know, pull those pants back up and get to work because if you don't, there's a small window of opportunity for these kids. Slepsevic says her son is thriving these days. Now 18, he attends college driving himself to school. The proud mom says he has a bright future ahead of him with no limitations. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. That's awesome. That is great. And if you remember, we spoke to Dr. Graham Prichet a, a little while back, an autism expert, <laughs> excuse me, and she was saying similar things that the rise in autism can, she thinks it's because of all the toxins in our environment now. And so if, you know, pregnant ladies, they should already be paying close attention to what they're eating as well, because there is so much stuff in today's packaged food, as this lady has um, mentioned, that this could d impact the baby's development. Such an important issue to bring awareness yeah. to. And it is amazing how moms who some don't have a medical or a nutrition background can just step up and learn so much about health and wellness. Exactly, that you can take the lead and change that. All right, um, we will head to a quick break, but we'll be right back, so stay with us. NTD News, the fastest growing independent news source in America, bringing you breaking news from around the world. Expert analysis, investigative reporting, and original award-winning documentaries. We're known for our uncensored China coverage you won't find anywhere else. We cover the stories that affect you and shape our world without the political noise. We report from the heart with you in mind. Watch us right here on NTD News. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. 
Good morning. Here are our top stories. A com combative testimony extracted from Trump prosecutor Fonnie Willis. The Fulton County DA is back on the stand today over a motion to disqualify her and her team from the case. What you need to know about yesterday's hearing. Former President Trump makes his last pitch to the Supreme Court in his bid to pause his January 6th case. And a New York judge expected to rule on the amount owed today in the civil fraud lawsuit seeking $370 million and a state business ban. A raid on Gaza's largest functioning hospital. Israel says hostages are held there and that Hamas is operating from the facility. And a new development in the investigation into President Biden and his son Hunter Biden. A former FBI informant has been charged with lying about the Bidens accepting bribes from a Ukrainian firm. A group of House lawmakers set to introduce another bipartisan bill today that would send aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan and tackle border security. That's after two similar bills hit roadblocks in Congress. What is America First, a term used by former President Trump a lot? We take a look at what it means and what this movement entails with the senior editor-at-large at Newsweek. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Today is Friday, February 16th. Today's top news. We had just in this morning that jailed Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died, according to the Russian prison service. He was 47 years old. The Federal Penitentiary Service said in a statement that Navalny felt unwell after going on a walk and almost immediately lost consciousness. An ambulance arrived to try to resuscitate him, but he died. The cause of death is still being established. Navalny was a longtime vocal critic of Russian President Vladimir Putin. A Kremlin spokesman says Putin was informed of Navalny's death and that the prison service is investigating it. Switching gears, Fani Willis, the district attorney leading Georgia's election case against former President Trump, is set to testify again today over a motion to disqualify her and her team. The Fulton County DA and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade are facing allegations of financially benefiting from the case and taking lavish trips together at taxpayers' expense. Both say their romantic relationship started in 2022 and that expenses were split evenly and settled in cash. Trump and his co-defendants want the whole case thrown out. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on yesterday's hearing. It is a lie. It is a lie. Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis testified Thursday she doesn't need anyone to foot her bills and paid Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade back in cash for any trip expenses. Defense attorney Ashley Merchant called Willis's longtime friend and former employee Robin Yurdy remotely to the stand after objections from the state. Yurdy stated she has no doubt a romantic relationship started in 2019. Hugging, kissing, disaffection. That's three years earlier than Wade swore in an affidavit. The judge denied a renewed motion to quash Wade's subpoena, calling him to the witness stand. Wade testified his relationship with Willis started in early 2022 and that they had first met at a conference in 2019. He says the relationship ended in the summer last year. State attorneys argued key witness Terrence Bradley is covered by attorney-client privilege, with anything relevant he has to say private between him and Wade. 
Wade's former law partner and colleague said he had knowledge of Wade's relationship, but was advised by the bar to adhere to confidentiality. I am here because I also have a law license, and I'm not trying to lose that. Attorneys for Willis said they will call witnesses to impeach Yurdy. The judge says he does not plan to issue a ruling by Friday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Trump made his last pitch to the Supreme Court yesterday in his bid to pause the federal January 6th trial. Trump is asking the full bench of the D.C. District Court of Appeals to review the three-judge panel ruling, denying him presidential immunity. Trump, in his filing, said the reasons are overwhelming why the case should not go to trial in three months or less. He wrote it would be virtually unthinkable and unfair with any other defendant. Special counsel Jack Smith argued in his own brief the standard to pause proceedings had not been met. It generally takes support from five justices to issue a pause. Smith wrote in his filing the charged crimes strike at the heart of our democracy and stated public interest in a prompt trial is at its peak. Justices are expected to decide Trump's request in a few days. And a former FBI agent was charged with lying about President Biden and his son Hunter Biden's alleged involvement with a Ukrainian energy company. That's according to the U.S. Special Counsel investigating the president's son. In a statement on Thursday, Special Counsel David Weiss said former federal agent Alexander Smirnov had been indicted by a federal grand jury. Prosecutors said that Smirnov falsely reported to the FBI in 2020 that Hunter and Joe Biden were paid $5 million each in bribes some years earlier. The money, he said, came from Ukrainian energy company Burisma. The grand jury found that Smirnov's story was a fabrication. The indictment alleges that what Smirnov reported was an amalgam of otherwise unremarkable business meetings. Investigators also claim that Smirnov had his dates wrong about when the meetings occurred. An attorney for Hunter Biden said the charges show the probe against the president's son is based on dishonest allegations. Abbe Lowell said in a statement, For months we have warned that Republicans have built their conspiracies about Hunter and his family on lies told by people with political agendas, not facts. We were right, and the air is out of their balloon. Hunter Biden sat on the board of Burisma from 2014 to 2019. For part of that time, his father was the U.S. vice president under former President Barack Obama. In December, the House of Representatives voted to formally authorize an ongoing impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Some Republicans made the Biden's connection with Burisma a centerpiece of their push to impeach the president. When former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced the inquiry in September last year, he said that a trusted FBI informant has alleged a bribe to the Biden family. Smirnoff was arrested on Wednesday, Weiss said, and faces up to 25 years in prison. And Israel Defense Forces said they had intelligence that hostages were being held at the hospital in the Gaza Strip. This comes as the Israeli military also reported having planes flying over Lebanon and ready to strike. Entity's Jason Perry has the latest on the war. A chaotic scene as smoke filled the hallways of Al Nasser Hospital in the southern Gaza Strip. On Thursday, Israel Defense Forces raided Gaza's largest functioning hospital. The IDF spokesperson explained. We have credible intelligence from a number of sources, including from released hostages, indicating that Hamas held hostages at the Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunis and that there may be bodies of our hostages in the Nasser Hospital facility. He also said that they believed Hamas terrorists were operating there. 
And the day before, on Wednesday, Israel Defense Forces ordered thousands of displaced people to evacuate the hospital, but some were allowed to stay. The IDF said that a key objective in the operation was to ensure that the hospital continues to treat patients. A key objective, as defined by our military mission, is to ensure that the NASA hospital continues its important functions of treating Gazan patients. We coordinated the transfer of medical supplies and equipment to the NASA hospital. We sent oxygen tanks and fuel for electricity at the request of the hospital to ensure its essential functions continue uninterrupted. The Israeli military interrogated a Hamas terrorist who was one of the several suspects detained during the operation. The detainee said there were about 50 Hamas terrorists who operated at the hospital. And he also thought around 10 hostages were being held captive at the hospital, though the IDF did not immediately report rescuing any hostages during the raid. Jason Perry, NTD News. And for more insights, we bring in Lieutenant Colonel Yaron Boskila. He's an operation officer of the Gaza Division in the IDS Reserves and the CEO of the Israel Defense and Security Forum. Good morning, Lieutenant Colonel. It's good to see you today. So first, with an attack, um, a strike on Rafah looming, could you talk to me about what Rafah's importance is for Israel in terms of winning the war and its goals? Well, first of all, it's not about the victory. It's about the, to ensure the safety of the Israel as a country and the life of our civilians. So this is the attack on Rafa is very, very necessary. I think like from uh, three different reasons. First, there is still a full Hamas brigade that didn't hurt yet with a full capacity and with ability and capabilities uh, to create a terror against uh, Israel and their still remain the Hamas abilities after, if it will still remain the Hamas abilities after the war, they will keep and strike Israel. And that was one of the reasons that we want to go and to attack Rafa. And when you say to attack Rafa, it's the terror, um, the terror uh, 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 terrorist, it's not about the civilians, it's more about the terror. And uh, we know and we understand that there are our hostages are still there and we want to bring them back home. And there's still underground tunnels and many infrastructures that allow them to smuggle weapons from Egypt. So from these three different reasons, we have to get into Rafa and to complete our missions. Understood. Now let's also talk about some updates from the raid at Nasser Hospital yesterday. What was the military really looking for and what did they encounter in the operation? Well, we already know that the Hamas in the past and during the war abused the civilians and used all of those uh, civilian infrastructure against Israel. And as they did before, they used their hospitals, uh, first of all, to hide their terrorists, uh, to hide some of the ammunition inside and to hide some of our hostages. And that include uh, uh, the bodies of some of our Israel civilians. So since we had this information from our intelligence unit, we had to go inside and to try and to find our hostages and uh, unfortunately the bodies and to bring them back home. So do you know if there were any hostages recovered or their bodies were they recovered? 
Well, first of all, we found a lot of Israeli bodies in other hospitals. We're still looking inside the hospital. This is not a very easy mission, but we found a lot of terrorists that uh, were hiding inside this hospital and they just uh, made up and tried to uh, pretend themselves as uh, the staff of this uh, hospital. And we found a lot of ammunition and we're trying and start, we just started to look for underground tunnels, but we're sure that we'll find more and more uh, terror infrastructure inside. And I hope that we will find some of our hostages inside even if it will be just the bodies that we can bring back home and to bring them to bury them. Right. So what about the uh, what about northern Gaza? Can you give me a quick update there on the progress? When or do you think Gazans will be able to return there anytime soon? Well, first of all, I think that we are very, very close to finish this war. And it's not saying that we will finish the mission. But the war is about to end and that there is still a lot of forces that will stay inside and we, they will keep and fight because the Hamas in the last 20 years built himself uh, and, uh, and, and dig a lot of under, underground tunnels. This is not a mission that can complete uh, quickly. We will still need to be inside to make sure that we eradicate all of these tunnels, all of the terror infrastructures and uh, after we will finish this, this mission, we will ask our forces to go out. And we're still in our eyes to, to the north of Israel because we have one more threat that's coming from the north by the Hezbollah. So this is one of our reasons why we want to finish this war quick and right. to send our troops to the north. And just quickly, so what do you mean? Can you elaborate on when you say you think the war is ending soon? Can you elaborate on what you mean and what makes you think that? So I think that the majority, when I say soon, the majority of our forces will leave soon, but there is still, as I said before, some of our units that will have to stay inside. Otherwise, the Hamas can rebuild himself very, very easily, as it did before, and to keep a threat Israel. And maybe the next attack will be maybe heavier, and even they can kill much more Israelis than they did before in, the, in the October 7th. So I believe that in the next uh, two, three months, as the war, I believe that it will over, but there'll still be some of our units uh, in the north of Gaza and uh, in the south. But of course, after we complete our mission in Rafah and we will uh, finish our, our goals that we achieved before. Understood. Thank you so much for giving us your estimate on that. Thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Yaron Boskila. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Coming up, several European NATO allies, including Germany, have recently promised to spend more on defense. That's after former President Trump said he wouldn't support member countries that don't pay their bills. Analysis from a French security expert after the break. What is America first? A term frequently used by former President Trump. We look at the meaning and what this movement entails with the senior editor at large at Newsweek. Welcome back. Several top House lawmakers expressed confidence that the Biden administration has a plan to deal with the Russian anti-satellite weapon. Members of the House Intelligence Committee and Speaker Mike Johnson addressed the press after the meeting. It's not a matter that can involve delay. It's something we have to address seriously. 
and on an immediate basis, and we are. I think the bottom line is, is that we all came away with a very strong impression that the administration is taking this very seriously and that the administration has a plan in place. Uh, we look forward to supporting them uh, as they go to implement it. We all walked out of there very satisfied uh, that the administration uh, is and has been doing a good job uh, tracking this particular threat. I want you to know that um, the White House gave us information today. They were going to uh, remain in close contact with leaders of Congress uh, on the issue, and it will be dealt with. The White House confirmed that it's now monitoring Russia's new military capability. Meanwhile, Moscow has described these claims as a ruse. They say it's to pressure Congress into approving support for Ukraine. A group of bipartisan lawmakers are set to unveil an alternate bill today that would send aid to Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan and tackle border security. The House lawmakers are hoping it'll serve as a compromise that can garner support across party lines. Their efforts come after House Speaker Mike Johnson rejected a $95 billion security package from the Senate. Congressman Don Bacon of Nebraska, who worked on the bill, said it would include only military, not humanitarian aid. It would also seek to address the immigration crisis by reinstituting the Remain in Mexico policy. This policy required that some asylum seekers wait in Mexico while their claims were being heard. President Biden ended the policy in 2022. And several European countries within NATO have recently declared increased commitment to their military budgets. NTD's France correspondent David Vives spoke with a security expert who says this is in response to former President Donald Trump's recent comments on the military alliance. In a press conference at NATO headquarters on Thursday, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg addressed the ongoing efforts to bolster defense capabilities within the alliance. This requires investment, and we are on the right track. I expect uh, 18 allies to spend 2% uh, of their GDP on defense this year, a six-fold increase from only three allies in 2014. Several countries have started to take action. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz on Monday said Germany was ramping up military spending and would meet its commitment. The Chancellor called for European defense industries to set up mass production of arms in light of the ammunition shortage faced during the war in Ukraine. Estonia's government also stated it would increase its military budget by more than 3% this year. Experts say the moves are spurred by former President Trump's recent comments on NATO. Trump had suggested he won't defend NATO allies who don't meet their defense spending targets in the event of an attack by Russia. The Americans have made it clear that they are less interested in Europe. Donald Trump's call is very close to what Macron said a few years ago, that NATO is brain-dead or irrelevant as it is now. According to think tank president and security expert Emmanuel Dupuis, Trump's comments affected change. This forces the Europeans to explain once again that without the Americans it will be very hard to ensure their own security. But on the other hand, the U.S. stance has incentivized EU countries to build up this new idea of strategic autonomy and depend less on the Americans on European soil. The EU recently approved a 50 billion euro support package to Ukraine. But according to Dupuis, further support for Ukraine might decrease. It seems to be a new era, a new dynamic, a new ambition, but also with a paradox. A good part of the population is as tired of war as the rest of Europe. In a poll published Monday ahead of the Munich Conference on Security, European citizens largely see mass migration as a top security threat. Russia is sixth and seventh in the ranking for French and Germans. NTD David Vives. 
What does the term America first mean? Former President Trump uses this term a lot. Some have called it an isolationist approach, but that may not be a good description. Josh Hammer, senior editor-at-large at Newsweek and the host of The Josh Hammer Show, explains. Well, I think the term America first is currently being bandied about by a lot of people who would prefer it to mean one thing. So Tucker Carlson would be one person who we can name here. He's been using the term America first quite a lot over the past year or so, especially in the aftermath of, of his firing from Fox last spring. And I think a lot of people in, in that broader orbit are trying to make America first out to be a, an ultra Ron Paul-esque doctrinaire commitment to America in retreats, to a, to a retrenched America, to, to fortress America, to America come home. But to me, America first and my understanding of the Trump doctrine, which former Trump White House official Michael Anton explained at great length in a 2019 essay for Foreign Policy magazine, the Trump doctrine of which America first is just a natural kind of uh, a subsidiary of that is not ideological at all. It is actually just a very pragmatic analytical lens that basically in very straightforward fashion says, you put America first. It's rejecting ideologies of all kinds. So it is just as rejecting of doctrinaire isolationism as it is rejecting of doctrinaire neoconservatism. It is a pragmatic, realist, sober approach to foreign policy and frankly, for that matter, for all of public policy. What is the difference between isolationism and America first? If there is one. I think there's a huge difference between doctrinaire Ron Paul style isolationism versus America first. Again, I referenced this essay that Michael Anton, who's a former Trump National Security Council spokesperson, he was very involved in kind of laying the intellectual foundations for Trumpism. Michael Anton wrote that famous essay, The Flight in 93 Election at the Claremont Review of Books back in September 2016. In his essay in Foreign Policy Magazine in, in 2019, after his years in the Trump White House, he sketched out what the Trump doctrine, what America first means. And it's it's close to what the Trump administration would refer to as, quote, principled realism, which, again, is a sober, emotionally detached view of the world where America is trying to retrench its presence and, and, and pull back from its commitments on the world stage to an extent, but also simultaneously at the same time, understanding that a superpower cannot always pull back. So, for example, the Trump administration actually assassinated Qasem Soleimani in Baghdad, Iraq. He was the mastermind of the IRGC Quds Force. They did that. The Trump administration put missile defense in Central and Eastern Europe, in Chechia, Poland, our allies there to deter Vladimir Putin, keep him at bay. There are many other actions like that. When it comes to economic policy and tariffs, he was actually quite hawkish when it came to China. I supported those policies for sure. So America first is just putting America first. That's really that simple. What that actually means for tangible foreign policy is an ad hoc case by case basis. It is not a doctrinaire, ideological, one size fits all commitment, whether that is neoconservatism or isolationism. Well, Josh Hammer, host of The Josh Hammer Show, thank you for sharing your perspective on this. You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a very interesting point. And the NATO secretary said it was a valid point um, that the NATO allies weren't spending enough on, yeah. Yeah, and on Trump's claims that, you know, the United States wouldn't defend those countries that don't meet that 2% benchmark, that's just a guideline. They're not actually required mm -hmm. to. It's just that they need to make sure that they meet that I see. Well, interesting point. So uh, we have to uh, wrap up our show right here, though. We'll keep you updated with the latest information. So stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 9 a.m. Eastern. NTD Stephanie Cox and Chris Beers will bring you our live special coverage as the Georgia Misconduct Hearing enters day two. So thank you for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.